This episode is brought to you by Verve Super, Australia's first ethically invested super founded by women for women plus. Verve actively seeks investments that lead the way in gender equality, carbon efficiency and sustainability while we're striving for the best financial returns for members. Join Verve Super, an easy way to build wealth and invest in a better world. This is general advice. Consider if right for you. Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. This is the podcast where we try and cover the entirety of the news cycle from the serious to the frivolous all in one place. Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. And today we're going to talk about Rupert Murdoch stepping down. Hollywood strike deal, WAD criminalises abortion, Taylor Swift, as always, New South Wales Police and Chris Rock. But first, we would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Gadigal people, and pay our respects to elders past and present. But before we get into the main headlines, what is your personal headline? I know what it is. It's What is it? No, just <laughs> What's happening today? What is happening? No, my book is out today. I've shit the bed. I'm carrying three pairs of underwear. I am terrified. <laughs> we are in the studio quite early this morning because we've both got massive days ahead and we are crusty as anything. We are like, why is it so early? It's one hour it's early. It's one hour <laughs> early than we usually record. But like... I've been complaining all and like I'm so tired and then Hannah comes in and is like yeah my book came out today and I'm like so much perspective on my life thank it's you that. <laughs> like, I, I, it's huge you it, sh- I don't think you're nearly excited enough maybe it's too early but it's like, too early it's because I'm nervous and scared and so I'm just like playing it cool and by that I mean I'm really tired and emotional <laughs> <laughs> we were saying before I actually think that's fair sometimes when like big stuff happens you kind of forget to like react like it almost becomes like yeah it's a weird feeling. And I don't want to feel like ungrateful, but I think it's like not going to feel real until I see it in a shop and then I have a big like launch event tonight. So I think I'm like, I've got a big run up to the day. Yeah. And I am just like, I didn't have much sleep last night because I had a massive day yesterday. I locked myself out of the house. I had to take my psych appointment on Zoom outside. <laughs> Sprinklers turned on during said event. I was drenched. It was a whole thing. So I'm just like in recovery <laughs> mode, but building to an excitement. I want to sort of build the suspense and get to a healthy level by tonight. That's like my aim, I think. And I'm a classic sucker for a birthday cry and I'm determined not to like have any sort of cry today I just want to have a really nice day so like that's my aim I yeah I get what you mean I think you just need to process it yeah. in your own time yeah. but you should be so proud I it's am really huge. excited I did br- I did pack it in my little backpack to show Sarah so like I know was, that that was like my secret <laughs> she excitement was like, she was like do you want to see it I was like, <laughs> I was like yes I try because it feels so lame to be like I'm brought me book you like it's, it's so I have to be like oh dear are you interested you don't have to be well, he's like um maybe later I'll look. <laughs> can you please have a personal headline of the week what's yours Sarah was like it's just the book and I was like Sarah please I because like I don't really have anything I I think I've just been really busy with work recently so just overall you know we just get to those like weird overly emotional states because yep. you're just like tired oh yeah and like last night I was on the way home after a big work day and I just like got myself like a ready mail supermarket meal and then I was like oh I'm probably gonna want a sweet after that like I was like angry walking around the store and I like bought myself like a little chocolate for it later and then I finished my meal and then was like all right time for my chocolate and I started eating it got halfway through it was full this chocolate started to make you know when chocolate starts to make you feel sick then yep. 
And then I like nearly cried because the chocolate made me feel sick. My roommates were like, you just need to go to bed. <laughs> like, I love this energy. I know the headlines have gone for too long, but last night I was like feeling emotional. I was like, I'm just going to go out and get myself dinner. I don't want to cook tonight. And I went to Broadway Shopping Center to the food court and I went to Schnitz and I got myself a schnitzel chips and gravy and I just sat there with a... <laughs> With a, the, with a plastic fork and spoon in the shit inside the food court. And I was like, it's a monumental evening. The book eve. And I was chopping up this shit with these cardboard I love, utensils. No what would happen in like either of our lives that would be good, we humble ourselves. ourselves. <laughs> like, so I think it's hard. to come back to base. Really come back to centre. That's what I felt like I was by myself in this Crap. food. Okay, anyway. I love this energy from us. Uh, let's get let's, into the story. Let's get into it. New season of Succession just dropped. Rupert Murdoch has announced he is stepping down as chairman of Fox Corporation and News Corp after a seven-decade career spent undermining democracy. <sighs> succession actually was based off Rupert Murdoch, right? Yes, it's it's obviously like a loose basing, Loosely but based, you know, like it's yeah. obviously the Murdoch family. Huge. I mean, this is actually my Christmas. Between this and the book, I haven't slept a wink this no. week. You are not a fan, I'm gathering. My, my Queen Rupert, there is literally a chapter in my book called A Cancer on Democracy, the Murdoch Media's Chokehold on Australia. So, like, I was like, damn it, the timing is prime, Rupert. Thank you. <laughs> so, at 92 years old, the cancer on democracy is finally stepping aside. Can I just say, to still be so prevalent at 92 years old. I know. Like, I understand that was the story of succession. It's like, time to go, mate. Yeah. He, well, I think that everyone thought he'd be carried out in a in a casket. <laughs> like I thought that people, leave. I I I firmly believed that he would not step down; he would just die. So mm. I'm actually shocked that there has been some sort of succession plan while he's alive. But it, you know what? And we'll get into this. But basically, he's moved on from the role of chairman to the role of chairman emeritus. So basically, emeritus means retired but it's an honorary position right essentially it is a succession plan but he's still retaining control and supervisory status as his son Lachlan who's in his 50s takes over as sole chair of News Corp and remains the executive chair and chief executive of Fox from November so Rupert's going to be there firm hand on the shoulder mm. you know firm grip on reality I don't still think he can have a firm grip he's very frail well yes he has had a few falls <laughs> recently but you know he also got engaged and then called off the wedding I two know. weeks later he's such a drama queen like he <laughs> <laughs> is the tabloid media and yet he should be the headline. Like, I cannot get over this. But also for context, so Fox News was launched in 1996 and it is the most watched TV news channel in the USA. News Corp is also one of the two major media conglomerates in Australia. In 2021, it was estimated that Rupert Murdoch owned 100 digital and print mastheads in Australia. Like, he owns, like, taste.com.au. Like, he owns is so stuff much. Stuff you just don't even think and about. And that's the thing. Yeah. It's the stuff that you don't Google that you don't realise the control that this man has had. And, he, yeah, he has spent seven decades in print media, in media generally, and he has built a major, major empire. It can be described as nothing less. He is probably one of the most influential and powerful people in the world. He's a billionaire. And I don't think people realise the the gravity of his control on the way that we consume information. Mm. So this is a big deal. It's so interesting. It is. It is so interesting. And also, like, the transition's coming at a really interesting time because it's been a really turbulent year for Fox. So you might remember they paid $787 million in a settlement after they were sued by voting companies 
company Dominion over its reporting of the 2020 presidential election. But they're also facing a second similar lawsuit for more money from another voting tech firm called Smartmatic, um, who are seeking $2.7 billion. Whoa. Yeah. And really what people wanted from this was either voting company to run the case the full way and actually prove it. But they instead, you know, with Dominion, they've reached settlement early because I think that the Murdochs wanted to make it go away as quickly as possible mm. because they know, I would presume they know they're guilty of what they're being accused of. Wait, so they're being accused of influencing the election? They're being accused of, like, the false reporting. So essentially Dominion argued that they undermined the validity and credibility of the voting system right? by sort of stirring controversy that it was fraudulent. So they're suing over – it's almost like a defamation. It's like a yeah. character damage to the company, yeah. basically. Um, so the settlement was massive. Like, that number is unprecedented, $787 million. And now there's an even larger one of $2.7 billion. So it's really important to watch what that outcome is there. Yeah. These have been massive cases, and I think a lot of people will be hearing those numbers swirl and go, oh, my God, surely, like, that's a huge loss. But I think we've got to remember Fox actually sold assets to Disney to the tune of about $70 billion. Yeah, no, like, this sounds huge, but when you think, like, as you just said, how much he owns, yeah. that's kind of... It's not... It's kind of a... It's a penny. You know, like, yeah. it's... it's it, it is more of a reputational thing than anything else. Like, it's about attacking the validity of Fox. Exactly. Yeah. You may also remember that in April of this year, Fox announced it would, in inverted quotations, part ways with Tucker Carlson, who was one of their major presenters mm. in the US. He was, like, the highest-rated TV host over there. And it basically, the reports were that it came from Rupert himself. And there was all these texts that came out that kind of indicated that as much as Tucker Carlson was peddling the Trump narrative, he himself privately didn't agree with Trump and knew what he was doing. And it's kind of this idea that, like, these hosts get out there and spout right-wing rhetoric, really far extremist views, but may actually not be believing that in their private lives and may undermine, again, the credibility. Yeah. So it's these really interesting conversations happening at the moment. There's some serious chinks in the armour. Also, in keeping good company with this, this great trend former Prime Minister Tony Abbott has been nominated to join Fox Corporation's board of directors. I just think, what a wonderful team. Wouldn't you love to be in those board meetings? I would seriously rather stick a fork in my eye than participate in those conversations. Wow. I know. So we'll see what happens with Abbott. But, you know, I think that speaks to a culture of power in which our prime ministers are so closely related and interlinked um, with, with the media. With the media, and obviously Malcolm Turnbull and Kevin Rudd have actively called for a royal commission into the Murdoch media. It was the most signed petition in Australian history. I think they got over half a million signatures. When was that? Yeah, I think it was twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. But obviously, I, I think. Albo has come out when he was elected and said he will not hold a royal commission into Murdoch. And the the vibe very much being like, you're not going to argue with the referee. So they're saying that it was the royal commission would be into if Murdoch media was peddling a narrative. No, it's more into this idea of diversity of media in Australia and an inquiry into the spread of media, how it controls and influences and whether it's healthy for our democracy. Mm. So Albo's saying, I just don't think that when you're in power, you're bold enough to undertake something like that because you know you'll be attacked for it. It's a big risk. But isn't that interesting that, like, the prime minister of a country is terrified, in mm. a way, to go up against 
a media conglomerate that would shows that that kind of holds more power than himself. Absolutely. And I think it's so interesting that, you know, Rudd and Turnbull will come out now and say that because it's easy for, that, for them to say that now because yeah, they're, they're done with it, yeah. right? But they wouldn't have enacted it when they were in power. Wait, who's the son that's overtaken him? Lachlan Murdoch. So Lachlan is the eldest boy, if you've watched Succession. Well, I mean, what? That's just so obvious. I know. <laughs> but So he has m- multiple children from multiple marriages, mm. but his daughter Elizabeth actually started her own network. She's not interested, so she actually started her own media empire, small company, but it, her media company does shows like MasterChef and The Biggest Loser. That's where they came from. That's not like a little no, media company. No, we're not talking cheek media. <laughs> <laughs> but also the other sort of competitor here was James Murdoch, the younger son. But mm. James is actually, I wouldn't describe him as left wing, but I would not describe him as being of the same views as his older brother and father. Interesting. So they sort so of he was of, never going to win. No, well, he was. For, like for a while, he did seem like a sort of potential candidate for taking over. But basically, it became clear in the last couple of years that he has sort of departed from their views and isn't supportive of the way that they've influenced the world, the Western world's media. So interesting. An end to the Hollywood strike draws close as yesterday the Writers Guild of America, the WGA, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the streamers and the studios, finally reached a tentative agreement. Yeah, so this is a really positive step. I mean, there's not actually a lot to say on this yet, but I think it was important to include because what I hope that this symbolises is the beginning of the end for this. Be great because... I mean, a bit of recap on this. They've been on strike since May 2nd, which is when their agreement. Yeah, their agreement ended. Now, also to be clear with this, this is the WGA union. So that's the writers. But the SAG after still haven't, they don't have a tentative agreement yet. So it's, you know. But the WGA is 11,000 writers. And from what we understand, this deal is really promising. And we hope SAG after follows from this. Yeah. But to go back on what they were asking for, they demanded an increase in pay, minimum staffing levels in writers' rooms, a breakdown of the distinction between theatrical, which is in cinema, and streaming release for movies as it affects the way they're paid, and the regulation of artificial intelligence, which is what I found fascinating. And I think if you missed that, we spoke about it in a previous episode. Um, But another big thing they've pushed for is residual payments from the streamers. So once a film or a series hits a particular target, the transparency over like how much money it's making, because the these streaming giants like do not release any of that information. Mm. Like you can see like how movies and TV shows are ranking. Also, a lot of the time the algorithm seems like it would be not quite accurate. Like, no, yeah. yeah, like, and who knows what goes into that. So yeah. that I thought was really interesting. Yeah. But in a statement issued to the members yesterday, the Writers Guild said, though we are eager to share the details of what has been achieved with you, we cannot do that until the last I is dotted. We can say with great pride that this deal is exceptional with meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of the membership. So Amazing. That's really huge. promising. There are a few steps to go before it's finalized. So the next important step, from what I understand, is for the negotiating committee to take a vote on if they would recommend this deal to its governing bodies. And then the governing bodies have to take a vote to decide whether or not they recommend the deal to its members. So until those votes are cast, the WGA has said that people are not to return to work. However, they have put a pause on picketing, but they have encouraged its members to instead join the SAG after picketing lines. In- in the meantime. Okay, yep. So yeah, so it's more now 
the focus will shift. The pressure will now entirely shift to SAG after. It seems like this deal is going to go through for the WGA. I think tomorrow they're expecting this to be finalised. So this story is unfolding. There's not really much else to say on it for now, except what a relief. Yeah, and honestly, often with these things, one deal leads into the next. Yeah. And I think also part of it generally with union negotiations and when these sorts of things are happening, at least in this country, is that when one deal is offered and accepted, it's quite hard to go beyond that first deal. Yeah. So you'd want to be in conversation between like SAG-AFTRA and the WGA and they probably wouldn't go unless they thought those conditions would be potentially acceptable to the others in, mm-hmm. in terms of like a, a comparative. Yeah. So you'd be hoping that this would just lead to like a quick success domino effect and that everything will be resolved in the next couple of weeks. That's what we're hoping because if you really think about how many people have suffered and like the hit on the economy on this has been huge and it's been so, I hate saying things are brave, but it has been fucking brave to do this. It is so brave. There's so much money in this industry and they deserve more and it's really amazing to see people stand with each other like that. I think it's a a great story and hopefully it's a great outcome for everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Western Australia has finally caught up with the rest of us, becoming the final jurisdiction in Australia to fully decriminalise abortion. So decriminalisation essentially means to remove something from the criminal code so or criminal legislation, depending mm. on what state you're in and what it's called. But essentially, now, instead of being regulated under their criminal code in that state the abortion legislation will now be contained in the existing Health Act. So that's what decriminalisation actually means, right? That's good to know because I feel like people don't know that. You see it and you're like, ugh. But also it's really important to note Abortion is no longer a crime in Western Australia, but it will still remain an offence for an unqualified person to perform or assist with the procedure. So there are still particular elements where, if not done in accordance with the legalisation and and the sort of methods and regulatory system that WA has set out, that could still be an offence or a breach. Is that not the same in other states and territories? It's the same, but it's more about noting that it's like there's still... You know, if it's not done correctly and in line with the guidelines of the state, mm. and especially because really when you read something like that, if it's an offence for a person, an unqualified person to perform the procedure, that's really more about the health and safety. Yeah, that doesn't sound... Yeah, so you're not allowed to get like an unlawful abortion because that's actually a risk to you. Yeah. So it's more about deterring that sort of behaviour and, and, and pushing people to seek out procedures from medically qualified people. So there are actually a range of sweeping reforms that WA brought in last week, uh, including that they will now allow abortions up to 23 weeks gestation, where it was previously limited to 20 weeks. Um, Notably, under the previous laws, two professionals were required to be present during the abortion. Now you'll only need one provider present. So something that also has interested me about this, and I was reading it this morning, is that previously a doctor was required to offer counselling to their patient before offering the abortion. That will no longer be the case. It's. I'm interested in yeah. this, right? Because I did the same thing. I did the same. I like I have a yeah weird reaction to that. Same because I was like, I was like, of course, you know. Imagine going in literally to ask for a form of healthcare. You've made an autonomous decision about your own reproductive health, and you have the element of choice, and you've activated that. Yeah. And then someone being like, "Do you need counselling?" It feels stigmatized. So was it just offering counselling, or was it hat you had to be counselled? You were re- doctors were required to offer counselling. Is right. the language right? So I don't. That, Obviously, I don't know why I got my back up so quickly, same. but then in the same breath, I'm like, actually, when you think about it, yes. but some people that would be necessary. And it's 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 really interesting. And that's also okay. I almost think yeah. it's about timing because I, I don't I don't want to be really pedantic about this, but when I was thinking about the way I got arced up about it as well, I was like, it's probably because if I did go and have an abortion, I would potentially want to be provided with material afterwards. 
Mm. Like, hey, if you would like to contact this counselling service, here's some contact details. Or you can get three free sessions just to talk about this, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. I think maybe it's the fact that it's when you're initially asking for it. I think maybe it's about the fact that it, it could be that you you attach it to your choice. You know what? It's because it feels judgmental. And if yes. you're already sort of in two minds or if you're already sort of Vulnerable. going through it yourself, it would feel like a judgment from a stranger. Exactly. And I think that, that is probably it. But in saying that, I do still think. Yeah. I think that the offer is actually important on both sides of it because I, I think it can surprise you how much it affects you still. And the requirements around ministerial and panel approval for later term abortions has been abolished. So like literally to have to go to like the health minister and get approval. I so, did not realize yeah. you had to do that. And like medical panel approval. And that's that's usually in circumstances where later term abortions are usually approved in circumstances where the life of the baby isn't viable, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So that's why they've removed that because it's like, well, it shouldn't be up to the health minister. It should be other medical practitioners who can help make those decisions. Yes. What we're really looking at here, I think, is when we're moving abortion from something from criminal legislation to health legislation, it's destigmatizing the act. This mm. is a form of healthcare. It's a reproductive right. It's a form of choice that we should all have access to. Um, Western Australia has also introduced measures that ensure any provider that objects to performing an abortion must assist the patient to access one elsewhere. So, for example, if a medical practitioner refuses to perform this service on religious grounds, they can't just refuse. They have to then assist to provide access through another provider. So the onus is on them to continue that pipeline to ensure this person can access this form of healthcare. Yeah. There's been major problems recently in Catholic hospitals. So, And they're taxpayer funded. It's not like they're privately funded and they're just making their own choices as to what they do and don't do. But a lot of I was reading a Guardian article a few weeks ago about an ongoing issue, which is that a lot of Christian-based faith hospitals, specifically Catholic hospitals, refuse to provide contraceptive, let alone abortions. Wow. Yeah, so it's like a really big issue that's present in Australia, and I think not many people actively know about it unless you work in healthcare. Mm. Another issue around abortion access recently, uh, last year in particular, was that reports were coming out of Queensland, where this is the case, this is the legislation, it's been decriminalised for years, where doctors who did not believe in abortion rights would tell patients that it was criminal. No. Yeah. So they would say... It's happening in Queensland. Yeah, they would say, like, you can't access one or it's illegal or blah, 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 to deter people from getting them. These reports were coming that out from patients. That has to be illegal. Exactly. But there was these reports coming out because patients, especially, like, say, in far north Queensland where you have to drive six hours to a clinic or you try to go and see your GP and get a referral to get help, to get access, mm. they're lying to you because they don't believe that you should be able to get an abortion. That should be criminal. I it wouldn't have occurred to me that that wasn't criminal. No, agreed. because that's giving that surely that is breaking a code of conduct I as a medical professional. I, it's a lie. It's a blatant lie, and it's it's a misrepresentation of your human rights. Yeah. So, it's an interesting conversation to be had, but I think that the clarity and like the promotion of this legislative change in Western Australia is really important because people need to know what their rights are and they need mm. to know how they can access these services and that's really important and to deter things like what happened in Queensland last year. Mm. So abortion is no longer a crime in any jurisdiction in Australia. It's not in any of our criminal legislation, but... I think what's important as well is that each state has different sort of particulars or specifics around, you know, gestational periods. A good example is the ACT is probably the most progressive in terms of access in that they actually provide abortions up to 16 weeks free mm. with or without a Medicare card. 
but it's only up to 16 weeks, so it's about seven weeks shorter than the time frame for WA. But they do provide them free for a certain period. So it's like it's like promoting earlier access um, for free because these they can be expensive. They can be $500 or $600. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not accessible for some people. You know, when we talk about access, mm. we're not just saying there's a clinic around the corner. We're talking about actually having accessibility to the clinic, accessibility and not being stigmatised or shamed where you go. And then having the funds. Yeah, and having the funds to do it. So there's a lot of elements here we need to improve, but I think the ACT is a good example of a place that has taken active steps to ensure that people can access an abortion. This episode is brought to you by Verve Super. I am so glad Verve is our sponsor this week and I really appreciate the sort of insights and sort of the passion they bring for women-founded businesses. Yeah. I am a women-founded you business. Are. Me, myself, I'm a female entrepreneur. I, I don't like using the E word, but I actually should lean into it because it's really important because I think that there's a specific bias that women-led businesses face, but I do think that we also bring really unique qualities and perspectives and insights to business. And I really think that the landscape for female founders is going to be changing over the next few years. And I think that businesses like Verve are really changing the way women can operate in business and empowering us. And I think that's why we are all for Verve, which is Australia's first ethically invested super founded by women for Women Plus. The world of finance wasn't built for women, but Verve is here to change that. In a first for superannuation, Verve seeks out investments in Australian companies that are leading the way in gender equality and inclusion. And the best part is it's really simple to join. Join Verve Super, an easy way to build wealth and invest in a better world. Head to vervesuper.com.au to learn more. Information provided is general. Verve Super is issued by ETSL. Read the PDS and TMD at vervesuper.com.au and consider if right for you. Taylor Swift has lost touch with the common man, not for recent carbon emissions, but for thinking anybody has the spare time needed to solve her little puzzles. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I do. No, I, I don't. don't. I don't I... either. I don't either. I, loved, I just watched the wrap-up on TikTok. I know. Okay, so last Wednesday, Taylor posted to her Instagram a video of the 1989 vault. Now, if there is one thing Taylor loves, as we all know... It's a fucking puzzle, like, or a riddle, or an Easter egg. So 1989 Taylor's version, she teamed up with Google, and she made a series of 89 word scramble puzzles for fans to solve. So if you typed in Taylor Swift, you would be presented with, like, a beachy blue pop-up, and then you could click onto the little vault image in the corner, and it would present you with a puzzle. And she declared that once 33 million puzzles had been decoded worldwide, the vault would be unlocked and she would name her vault songs. What? I had no idea about this. Can I also just say, like, it was sort of genius because she became, like, the most Googled person in the world. Like, not that she needed the SEO help, like, but the strategy worked. Like, I think her name tripled within a single hour. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Also, she crashed Google. Congratulations, Crashed it. Like, first Ticketmaster, now Google. Google then had to post on their Twitter, Swifties, the vault is jammed, but don't worry, there is no blank spaces inside. We're in our fix-it era. (laughs) We'll be out of the woods soon. Holy shit. No rest for the wicked, honestly. No rest for the wicked. That's so funny to me. I don't know why that made me giggle so much, but... Eventually, the vault was unlocked, revealing four of the five songs. So the vault songs are called, Is It Over Now?, Say Don't Go, Now That We Don't Talk, and Suburban Legends. She then promised a fifth, hadn't been revealed yet, um, that would also appear 
as well as a Target exclusive track that has not been announced. Target exclusive. It's a bit of a... She always does these Target exclusive tracks. Hate. They're so annoying. Hate. Then she later revealed when she posted the back covers of the album on her Instagram that the fifth song would be called Slut. That's the Target exclusive. I don't know if that's the Target exclusive. I think so. That's potentially. hilarious. And what's interesting is that none of these tracks seem to feature any... Features. They don't seem to have any collabs on them, which sort of dashes everyone's hopes of a Harry Styles collab. Could it be secretive? I guess not. Maybe. I, I think people are others. hoping, like, you know how she did, like, from Dust to Dawn edition or 3 a.m. edition of Midnight's when she, like, comes out with more songs? Yeah. Potentially people could hold out for Seems that. Seems like a loss, though. I know. I mean, one of my thoughts on this, my thoughts on this is that you kind of lost me on this one, Taylor. Like, I... Don't do puzzles for anyone. I hate puzzles. Do you? They're my worst nightmare. Yeah. No I don't. crossword, no Sudoku. Nope. Nope. I don't want to. A riddle is my worst nightmare. I don't care. This is a really interesting fun <laughs> fact about you. I'm tired. I, I don't have time them. for it. I don't know why she likes puzzles that much. She just loves sending us on silly little goose chases. Our Easter egg queen. And they, uh, you know, I just think they're going to get more and more out of hand. Like the Easter eggs have gotten out of hand. This has gotten out of hand. Soon she'll be like on stage being like, Okay, so if a man left town on Wednesday and came back three days later on Wednesday, I will sing all too well if you answer this. I don't like these sorts of puzzles. I like the Easter eggs. I like the listening to the track and linking up from three albums ago. Yeah. And I love the, you were talking about this just before we started recording, the like, 1989 Taylor's version album cover, the S in version, now has a tiny snake head. Yeah. And people are like, it's not a tiny snake head. It's like the littlest like marking. It's so ridiculous. People are like, it's reputation. You know what? I do like the Easter eggs. What I think is just funny is how out of hand people like people think everything's an Easter egg now. Like she put the back covers of the 1989 album and in like one she like is like making like a ooh face. Like she's like, oh. And then the next one she's got the hands in the air and everyone's like, it spells O-O-T-W, out of, that will be the next single, Out of the Woods. And I was like, oh. I actually think everyone's losing it. <laughs> like, I think everyone's losing it too. The Snakehead S was really weird to me. But can I just say, like, it's genius marketing because no matter what she does now, people are going to expect that she's hiding things and they're going to look into it with such fine detail. Yeah. You think I'm done with Taylor Swift news? I'm not. I'm never. When she uh, stops being the entire news cycle, I'll stop talking about I it. I simply didn't think you were done. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you've probably seen rumours and memes are going wild this week with the hot gossip that Taylor is now dating NFL star Travis Kelsey. And of course, because I'm a psychopath, I have made a timeline for us. Pause. He is so hot. You just like that he's 6'5". No, no, no. Again, my type is a man that looks like he could survive a winter. He could survive a winter. This man is six foot five and could survive a winter. Yeah. I'm six foot two and I could survive a winter. It kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, these two. Mm. Uh, but I really... I'm into it. I'm so into it. Anyway, please give me the time. Okay, so July 26th, Travis has a podcast with his brother, who's also an NFL star. It's called New Heights. And he says that he wants to ask Taylor out. I'm going to just play a snippet. Speaking of Taylor Swift, I know you went to the Taylor Swift concert. How was it? Yeah, well, I was disappointed that she doesn't talk before or after her shows because she has to save her voice for the 44 songs that she sings. So I was a little butthurt I didn't get to hand her one of the bracelets I made for her. You made her a bracelet? Yeah. If you're up on uh, Taylor Swift concerts, there are friendship bracelets and I received a bunch of them being there, but I wanted to give Taylor Swift one with my number on it. Not right now. Your number's in 87 or your phone number? You know which one. <laughs> 
Soleil. How cute is that? So cute. I did see the the you know which one. You know on which TikTok. one. He's, he is such a cutie. He's got good energy, I think. He's got good energy. Okay, September 12th. Rumors that the two have started hanging out. Um, around this time as well, his brother starts getting interviewed a lot. And they're like, what about Travis and Taylor? And he always just gives these like cryptic responses that kind of, he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Wink. Nice. <laughs> and then September 21, he says in an interview that he has asked Taylor to see him play. Um, We're talking five days ago. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. I know you're running through this timeline, but for me as a reaction audience member of you right now. Yes. She is the most famous person in the world. And it's so interesting to me how willing she is to be open and public about these things quite quickly. Well, she actually hasn't said a word yet in this timeline. Okay, this is all well, him. I've been seeing a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry, yeah, going. But he, she, at this time, point in the timeline, yes. he's talking to himself. I'm, you, thank you, Sarah. That's actually <laughs> That's, really helpful context. You're thank welcome. you. Please, you're welcome. please stabilize me. So. He does an interview where he says that he's asked Taylor to see him play at Arrowhead, which is where he saw her perform her Eras tour and wanted to give her the bracelet. So he said, I threw it out there. I threw the ball in her court and I told her, I've seen you rock the stage at Arrowhead. You might have to come see me rock the stage at Arrowhead and see which one's a little bit more lit. So we'll see what happens in the near future. Can I just say, Taylor Swift, the way she speaks, some like the cat, I don't know, all of it, she's like the most millennial person in the world. I think she's just found someone who sounds more millennial than her. It's embarrassing. It's but like an endearing way. I agree. But that is so, like, rock the stage and lit. It's like, oh, that must be how, like, when we say slay in people's, like, ears burn. <laughs> That's how I feel. Like, my skin is itchy. So September 24th, Taylor goes to his game at Arrowhead, sits in the box is so animated and is, like, with his mum wearing his jersey. Also, can I just say, like, if this has all started happening, just looking at my own timeline here, how is she meeting the parents already? I know, good for her. I Honestly, one of the things that comes up for me when I read through these stories is that I think about the fact that, like, this is, like, a first or second date and now the entire world is, like, Travis and Taylor. And that's really yeah. not fair because often I think, like, she probably wasn't, like, in a relationship with Maddie Healy. She was casually seeing this guy and the world you know, pinned her down and labelled her. I know. Well, okay, so then apparently stuff that happened is, like, after the game, they, like, took off in this car together, this, like, cool convertible, and everyone's like, it's the getaway car! Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and then apparently, um, and again, this is just, this isn't confirmed, but this is, like, people were saying on TikTok that they were, like, at the restaurant and their friends were at the restaurant and this happened, where they were all having dinner and... Taylor walks in with Travis and the waitresses and waiters come up to everyone in this restaurant and is like, hey, deal is Taylor's going to pay for your meal. Like, it's free, but you need to get out now so they can have the restaurant. Stop. Is that real? Well, I want to find out if it's real, but it's been reported on a lot. Like, a lot of people are saying this happened. How would you feel about that? I would be like, no worries. I'm out. No, I would (laughs) say she pays for my meal. I get a picture. No, uh, you're annoying. Don't do that. Sarah! (laughs) I want to take a selfie with her. Don't we all? You surely want... You're getting kicked out of a restaurant that you're having a nice meal in. She's just paid for my meal. And you're not asking for an autograph We don't even know. We don't know what the restaurant... So I think that's going to play into how I'd feel about it. What happens in the restaurant? If I've, like, reserved a spot and it's a good restaurant, I've been excited to go, I will be a little annoyed. But I feel like the vibe was this was a pretty Paying for my meal. I don't think that's good enough. An inconvenience. (laughs) So there's almost two minds about all this. Some people are like, this is my favourite thing. I really ship it. I want to be in that basket. But then, like, part of me is like, is this PR? 
I actually don't think it's PR. I don't know about me, about you, but I'm very much someone who believes in the power of love and I really don't like when people are like, it's a stunt. I don't know. Travis is wholesome and honestly, the way the podcast bracelet thing unfolded, it seemed natural. Seems natural. Because it seemed like he was just shouting into the void. I want to believe. I want to believe it's natural. I'm, I'm going to believe that. If this does turn out to be a PR stunt, like the only thing I can imagine is to just like Taylor's PR team crack themselves up, put a bunch of random names in a hat and pulled out some NFL star and Maddie Healy and was like, oh, we guess. No, Sarah, <laughs> but also the NFL TikTok updated their bio today and it says it had the date and Taylor was here. That is ridiculous. It's so funny, but also gets her in with an audience of men if the masculine man, in inverted quotations, is a Taylor Swift fan and lover. Yeah. Keep an eye on this unfolding story. New South Wales police complied with privacy and dignity rules in only 27% of strip searches undertaken in the last two years, according to research from the police watchdog. So this is a story that I haven't seen. I've only seen The Guardian and a couple of other sort of smaller publications report on this. And I came across it yesterday and I just thought it was worth talking about. Yeah. Because I'm not sure how much mainstream media coverage it'll get. Essentially, the police watchdog in New South Wales is called the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission. It is police investigating police, which is more interesting that this has come out as such bad data. Mm. Because basically they have conducted an audit of strip searches, which was released yesterday. Now, it's only something like 300 reports were sort of audited. Yeah. But essentially it found not only that less than a third of strip searches complied with these rules, but also low standards of record keeping across data from five music festivals in 2021 and 2022. I know, you're all your eyes low standards of record keeping hannah please help me i know i i, I hear you. that sounds boring as batshit but there's more to this right so i find it particularly concerning because obviously a strip search is quite a significant act that imposes on our individual yeah. freedoms and liberty and privacy right yeah. and so only 30 percent of the records actually contained adequate reasoning to justify the strip search so they got this, they got all the records of what's happened at music festivals when they've conducted these strip searches and they've looked at what's been kept on paper, on paperwork basically, mm. and hasn't met the threshold. So they need to be able to that justify. Doesn't surprise me. Exactly, but it's like they need to be able to justify conducting a strip search and they need to keep that record and they need to be able to refer to that later. And it's less than a third has adequate, clear reasoning that's consistent and accurate and actually justifies the action. I actually haven't been strip-searched a music festival, but I have lots of friends that have, and it's very much, they pick you at random, it's a scare tactic. Yeah. No. And or I, it's like a dog, dogs are around, and if it walked past you. Yes. And that's the thing, I can understand that in the moment this is quite a fast-paced environment at music festivals and there are a lot of illicit substances, blah, blah, blah. But for me, what concerns me is the lack of detail. And part of the problem here with this article that I was reading was that there are huge gaps in training recorded for officers. So something like 27% of officers hadn't even undertaken training in relation to performing strip searches. So when, you, like, my thing is, and it, this is what it always comes back to for me, why is it that in many states, becoming a police officer takes like the same amount of time as a pregnancy, yet many of us go to university and study degrees for three to four to five to six years yeah. to obtain qualifications that don't give us a gun or a taser or allow us to breach individuals' freedom, liberty, autonomy? And it should be in legal ways, but when you're not meeting the threshold required, when you're not recording the information correctly, is that legal? Are you... 
adhering to the standards that the public expects of you. And I think that this is a good example because I think strip searches, especially at music festivals, are things everyone's heard about, everyone's had a friend who's done it. Mm. So it's important to talk about because I think a lot of the time people fail to understand like police powers and how they impact our everyday. And a lot of the time we fail to see it as something that happens to us because like I've not really had a run in with police. But that's something that could happen to you or me. Yeah. And I think that it's important to say like when they're not conducting them in line with the standards of privacy and dignity, we don't know what's happening in those environments. And unless something changes, we we kind of are subjecting people to unsafe environments by the people who we're supposed to who we're supposed taught to, to believe will protect us. Yeah. And that's not correct and we know that. But I think it's just a really interesting story that won't get much coverage, but it's really important to be changed. Leslie Jones confirms that Chris Rock needed counselling after being infamously slapped by Will Smith at the Oscars. Okay, so Leslie Jones did an interview with People magazine where she spoke about Chris Rock and his reaction to the infamous slap at the Oscars last year. So if you need a refresher, Chris Rock, who was hosting the Oscars, made a joke about Will Smith's wife. It's very normal for award show hosts, I think, to poke fun at people in attendance. Yeah, um, iconic. Yeah, like Ricky Gervais, Amy Poehler, oh. Tina Fey. I think I've watched them all like a thousand times. It's part of it. I think you go to expect it. Sort yeah, of it's almost like a badge of honour to be made fun of because it means you're prominent. Exactly. Yeah. Anyways, in this instance, Chris said, Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see you. Now... Clearly was making a joke at Jada Pinkett Smith's shaved head, which she had shaved due to alopecia. Mm. So it's it's an insensitive joke. Regardless, Will Smith then walked up on stage, slapped him and yelled, keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. Like, do you remember this? I, I remember this so clearly. And I remember at the time being like so in shock, mm. but also the conversations that emerged out of the following days. Like I think we initially were like pop culture and then it became like a story about violence. You know? Yeah, no, I 100% agree. At first it was just the shock value of it and it was like, ooh, mm. drama at the Oscars. Mm. And then you were like, whoa, this is like a really like complicated, layered conversation about like society. But I also remember when I first watched it, Chris was clearly in shock and it almost looked like it was part of a bit because it all just happened so fast. Mm. You were like, wait, was that supposed to happen? It was also, I remember the year he won Best Actor for King Richard. Oh. Yeah. So did he get up after? He did. And he didn't apologise. Fascinating. Fascinating to come down from a moment like that and not follow it up with anything. Yeah, I just don't think any of it had sunk in yet, to be honest. Will Smith post-Oscars, was forced to resign from the Academy and he was also banned from the ceremony for a decade. Many people had commentary about this at the time. As we were saying, Will Smith eventually made an apology video, but despite all of this, Chris stayed really silent. Like, he did not comment on this at all. So this news that he having to go to counselling is kind of interesting because we didn't know what his reaction was. He did then eventually speak out about this, and I sort of missed this early this year, but he did a Netflix comedy special where he, for the first time, addressed the slap himself. He said, A lot of people say, Chris, why didn't you do nothing back? How come you didn't do nothing? Because I got parents, that's why. Because I was raised. I got parents, and you know what my parents taught me? 
don't fight in front of white people. <laughs> wow, that's so fascinating. I mean, I expected, but like really, in- it's really interesting to say that back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also then went on to make a lot of jokes about like Jada and Will's video. Remember when they posted that video post there when they were having troubles in their marriage? Yes. And it was like, Jada's been in entanglements. I like, remember this. Yes. I do remember this. Yeah, so anyway, he made a- he- that gave him a lot of content to really get back at Will in this comedy special. Yeah. Anyways, back to today, actress and comedian Leslie Jones did an interview. She spoke about what Chris's reaction was. She said, that shit was humiliating. It really affected him. People need to understand his daughters. His parents saw that. He had to go to counselling with his daughters. It's interesting because his daughters are 19 and 21, right? Yeah. I find that particularly interesting because I'm like, what would warrant him going with his daughters? Like, it's a, I get it that it was an, a public humiliation, but the daughter's piece is interesting to me. Who knows? I don't quite understand it, but I think it's I'm yeah, not yeah. notable. It's really interesting, though. So when I was reading about this, Leslie isn't the only one bringing the infamous slap back into the headlines. Actor Sean Penn. Do you know Sean Penn? Yeah, he won. I remember he, he won a couple of Oscars, one for Milk. Yes, yeah. he's won two Oscars himself. He's also revisited this week while doing press for a new documentary that he's co-directed called Superpower. Mm-hmm. So Superpower is actually about the Ukraine invasion. And in an interview with Variety, he says that the Oscars actually had a chance to invite Ukrainian President Zelensky on stage, but they ultimately declined it because they thought, oh, this isn't lighthearted enough for the Oscars. So that was, he was invited on in like when the Ukraine war had just started as well. Isn't that interesting? Because I think that part of the Oscars, like my immediate reaction to that is part of the Oscars and part of awards shows often is for celebrities to pose as giving a fuck about any of us. Mm. And to have that opportunity and not take it because it's not lighthearted enough, it just shows like how it's like humanitarian tokenistic a lot of the time. And when it's actually meaningful engagement and public support, it's, uh, not. it's not it's not fluffy enough. Mm. That's really interesting. Mm. And and what um, Sean Penn said is like, Oscars producer thought, oh, Zelensky's not lighthearted enough. Well, guess what you got instead? Will Smith. <laughs> That's fucked. He then wanted to say, I don't know Will Smith. I met him once. He seemed very nice when I met him. So why the fuck did you just spit on yourself and everybody else in this stupid fucking thing? Why did I go to fucking jail for what you just did? And you're still sitting there. Why are you guys standing and applauding his worst moment as a person? Can you tell me what the fuck he's referring to? Yeah. So from what I understand, what he's criticizing is that... Will didn't have any, like, legal repercussions for this, whereas Sean Penn actually served a jail sentence back in 1987 for punching an extra on the set of his movie Colours. I don't know. Like, look, I'm not here to say that the slap is not an offence, but because it it would be assault, Mm. but... I'm I'm saying there's a difference between punching an extra on set, like, in the workplace. But is there? Sarah Slay... I I also I, think it's it's also dependent on Chris Rock's willingness to make a complaint. That's also true. But I think – and I also don't know enough about what Sean Penn did to this extra. I don't know if it was like a punch or if he, this guy was beat to a pop. Like I don't know yeah. the details. But it is assault. Yes, I agree. I, I think it's an interesting comparison. I don't think it's quite right, but I think it's close. So – He then goes on to say, it's fucking bullshit what happened with Zelensky. Will Smith would never have left that chair and be part of this stupid violence. It would never have happened if they had let Zelensky speak. So it has been reported that Zelensky's request to address the Oscars were turned down again this year with suggestions that the Oscars producer was expressing concern over 
allowing Zelensky airtime as everyone affected by the conflict is white and it conflicts involving people of colour as they don't get the same attention from Hollywood. Interesting. Really interesting. Sean's documentary Superpower, which is about to be released on Paramount+, Plus originated actually, which I also thought was interesting, before Russia's invasion of Ukraine had begun. So it sort of tracked that, but he was already doing this about this guy's rise because Zelensky was an actor before he became president of Ukraine. And that's what he was doing the doco on, like how this actor turned into a president and then the war broke out as well. Yes. I mean, honestly, I had no interest in this and I probably will watch that now. I'm definitely going to watch that. Interesting to like reflect on that story again. And we'll keep an eye on that doco. We are at our Q&A section. Thank you guys so much for listening this far. If you have any questions, please send in on bigsmalltalk underscore pod and we will answer them either on the podcast or on our Q&A on Fridays. So thank you for everyone who sent them in. Slay. So this <laughs> Slay. <laughs> so this week's question, it's come up a few times and specifically the example that sort of brought it up uh, uh, quite a bit has been the new Qantas CEO, the woman that stepped in, Vanessa Hudson. Um, but the question has been to ask, what do you guys think about the glass cliff theory? This has come in so many times in our inbox. Yeah. And so the glass cliff is this hypothesis, basically, that women are more likely to be placed in leadership and executive positions during periods of like crisis or downturn. And the idea is imagine a glass cliff, right? And the idea being that as a corporation or an organisation or even like a country or a political party Mm. is headed towards a fall, they put a woman in charge and then when she goes off the cliff as they're already going off the cliff together, she is blamed. And it is almost like a gendered phenomenon, this idea that she is then blamed for failure because of her womanhood as opposed to the fact that it's already going off the cliff. So that's kind of like... It's really interesting. It's a really interesting phenomenon. Is there enough in it to believe? I think that there's enough in it to believe as a hypothesis generally, but I think that in relation to the Qantas thing, it's a bit rich because this woman that's been elevated to CEO has been deputy for like a long time. Okay. And so I'm always kind of sceptical because I think it's really important to talk about these issues and talk about the way that a lot of the time it is like a gendered choice. But in this circumstance, I'm like, she's been the right-hand woman to Alan Joyce for a really long time. And it's been not only complicit, but an executive decision maker in a lot of the failures of Qantas for a long time. So I find it interesting. I will find it really interesting to watch someone like that in this good example and see what she can change or what she does because she has been influential in those decisions so far and therefore part of the problem. Really? What do you, what do you think? I had never heard of this theory before people started DMing about it. One of those things where you first read and you're like, surely not. Mm. But then you're like, oh, I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't doubt anything. <laughs> no, but it's, so people will say the same thing about Theresa May after she um, succeeded and became the UK's Prime Minister after David Cameron, after the Brexit scandal ordeal, yeah. and she tried really hard and ultimately failed. I am not a huge fan of Theresa May, but I think that's another like key example of when a woman is elevated. And, you know, often it's in times where women haven't traditionally been in these leadership roles. Mm, to I take think, the fall. I always think it's a good example, but I think there's always more to the story too. Uh, it almost feels like too simple a theory, yeah. but I can understand. And it is really interesting to look into. So maybe I will look more into it yeah, now. Yeah, totally. I think it's just something to be aware of when we see times of crisis and corporations putting women as CEOs for the first time. To see a pattern. Yes. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening again this week. Please follow, 
like, subscribe, tap the bell. Do I don't know, comment. Thank you for your passion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. And we will see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>